got a problem, you don't know what to do. Your dreams are strange, and you're seeing things too. The world is full of mystery, life's more than you can see. You can ask pomegranate, you can ask pomegranate, Jesus. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Pomegranate Doyle, and this is Ask Pomegranate. And I want to talk a little bit today about relationships. Our podcast is going to be about relationships, the energy exchange in them. And what are they good for? What I think is relationships are the value, the richness. The, if you want to call yourself rich, you're only rich. If you have good relationships with people that you know you can count on, that you, in a time of crisis, can reach out to, and who, when, they're, when you have someone you love who's in crisis, those people rally around. And we have, you know, every relationship has a crisis. We have this kind of happy, neutral vision uh, in our culture that, because of Coca-Cola. I don't know advertisements. I don't know what caused it. It's probably a lot of advertising where we're supposed to be happy all the time and everything's supposed to go smoothly. And if you're not, if you don't, doesn't go smoothly, if you're not happy, if it's not easy, then there's something wrong with the relationship. <laughs> that is like such a lie. It's not even a fantasy. It's an absolute blatant lie. Relationships are difficult, even when they're wonderful. Relationships, when you care about someone, when you invest in someone, um, will cause you pain. And it's either because the relationship itself is difficult, which, you know, perfectly wonderful relationships are difficult, um, or it's because the person you love becomes injured or dies or goes through some kind of transformation that you can't understand. And, and as a result of that transformation, has to leave you or floats away and the connections are lost. But that doesn't mean the relationship wasn't valuable or meaningful. So today we're going to talk about those things. We're going to talk about um, the pain and suffering of a good relationship. And every good relationship will have pain and suffering in it. And these, this pain and suffering serves to nurture you, to crack open your heart uh the this container of the human experience this container of being in time allows for high drama and the drama of the everyday drama of a person's life when you're connected to them will impact you profoundly and it will if you let it it will change you what it wants to do is change you what it wants to do is influence you that love of another wants you to be somebody you're not right now. And that is often painful. It is often scary. It is often difficult. And when we go through a loss or a painful experience, one of the mistakes we make is I want to get back to that person I was before this happened to me. And often the grief and the pain that we go through is the loss of who you were before. And what we actually need to do when we go through these kinds of transformations um, that relationships cause us to go through, what we often have to do is go, ah, now I'm somebody different. My heart has been cracked open. 
and now I'm somebody different. And that is out of my control, but what I can do is I can learn to be this new person. And if we can let go of the old one, if we can grieve the change, if we can learn to be this new person, then those buttons and those incidents that push us in relationships can allow us to emerge into somebody we could never dream of being, somebody uh, much more empathetic and powerful and wise. And so let's hear what the questions are today about relationships. To leave a question for me, dial 520-222-9922. 520-222-9922. You can ask Pomegranate. Hi, Pomegranate. I just got out of an abusive relationship and was wondering what advice you had for moving on and healing. We both participated in an active and close community of people, and I was also wondering if it's wise to address the community about the abuse in some form and how to go about doing so. Thank you. Abusive relationships are ubiquitous, meaning they're everywhere. Um, There's varying degrees. There's... uh, Usually we think of abusive relationships as only the ones where there's kind of the bad guy and the innocent victim. And those absolutely certainly do exist. Um, Most abusive relationships have a mutual abusiveness associated with them. I certainly have participated in a mutually abusive relationship and uh, was raised in a mutually abusive relationship which was really hard for me to unlearn, very hard for me to unlearn that being mean to the people you love is actually not an okay thing because it's kind of normalized. Uh, At the same time, this is just a little aside, uh, rambunctious relationships are not always abusive. In other words, just because you're loud, loud and passionate doesn't equal abusive. Uh, Abusive actually has to start ripping into another person's character. It has to start lowering the other person's self-worth. It has to cause emotional, psychological, or physical injury. And not just perceived injury, but real injury. So it's complex, I guess is where we're coming from. It's complex. So when you remove yourself from a relationship you perceive to be um, abusive... The first thing you have to do is clear that person out of your energy field. And because when you're in a relationship, you make um, energetic connections with someone, you're, you're constantly throwing them a little bit of energy and they're throwing you energy. And this energy exchange builds up and becomes kind of a powerful thing. And the more you do that, the more invested you become, the longer you're with someone, the more you have that. And when that needs to change, you need to let those energy patterns go. And at the same time, it's hard to do that if you haven't cleared them um, out of your, I mean, auric egg, I guess, for, for lack of a better idea. You have to clear them out of your body. You have to clear them out of your space. You have to clear them out of your own sphere, sphere of influence because you have a sphere of influence and they're in it. And that's the whole point. The whole point of a relationship is to influence one another. And an abusive relationship is one where I am influenced to, to uh, become my worst self or my, less, of, less than I could be. It 
it drains me and takes away from me rather than um, challenges me and causes me to become better than myself. And sometimes when we're in that challenge, it's hard to tell. Is this abusive <laughs> or am I just being challenged? Um, so you'll know you're being um, abused if someone is attacking your character, uh, being contemptuous to you, putting you, which means putting you down or treating you like you're not, you don't know what you're talking about or you don't know how you feel. Um, that your opinion is either dumb or misinformed or crazy. Crazy is a real common one. It, treating, treating someone like they're crazy um, is a real common one in an abusive relationship. So that's like sort of intellectual, emotional, psychological abuse. Obviously, hitting is right out. Um, any kind of physical, physical uh, contact that you don't want is abusive, period. Now, you, you might also find it intolerable to be around someone who when you bring up a topic is defensive and unwilling to speak about it that's not abusive that's just hard to be around that's just hard to be, connect with someone when they won't um, engage in problem solving um, and so a couple of ways that that will happen is you um, will try to problem solve and the person will deflect or they'll yes but or they'll kitchen sink which means throwing everything uh, you know, you, yeah, you don't like that. I don't do the dishes. Well, I don't like that your hair is brown, you know, so you just keep changing the subject and adding to it. And so it's becomes, becomes unsolvable, but they stay engaged. And then another way is for the person to just not talk and stop talking and leave the room. And, you know, that's called stonewalling and that's also not good. It's not abusive, but it's completely destructive and drain, draining to the relationship. So back to abusive relationships and how to recover from them. So you chose that person for a reason. Here's where your power comes in. Um, if you can take responsibility for the fact that you as an adult person have chosen to be in a relationship with someone who's abusive, then you have power. So the first thing you want to do is go, Oh, it was me. I chose, I chose that. And uh, why did I, the question, first question you want to ask yourself is why did I choose that person? Um, well, I can tell you why. <laughs> because they're like someone. They're like your mother. They're like your father. They're like your sister. They're like someone. So what we do is in order, we, we grew up in families that have problems. And what we do as adults is we seek that problem out over and over again, feeling like if I can solve it the way the way I couldn't solve it with my parents then I will be okay and also it's become normalized that that behavior has become normalized in your childhood so then you seek it out um, as an adult just because yeah that's what I grew up with I know it I don't know how to be treated well it's very hard when you grew up in an abusive environment to know how to be treated well so you'll go towards um, abusive people if you come from an abusive environment and the cure for that is th therapy right and also recognizing that you're making the choice this is the power in this situation you made the choice to be in that relationship that person were reminded you of someone who was abusive to you previously. So which means you can make a different choice. The different choice is going to feel uncomfortable. Probably when you met this person, you felt some level of comfort with them. And that was because they're abusive and you're used to it. So recognize that. And if you can clear that off, you can clear, oh, I'm the one I am making choices 
to go out with people who are not available. And what I tell people when I have a client in my office and I tell them that, they go, but there isn't anybody who isn't abusive out there. And it's like, well, certainly what's true is you're not meeting people who aren't abusive because you reject people who are not abusive. In other words, you reject people who are kind and giving because they don't feel comfortable to you. So what I would do, the first step I would do is I would just, um, I would get some good herbs that had good boundaries and had uh, an ability to remove things from me and I would mix it with Epsom salt. So I would get rosemary, maybe a little rosemary oil. I would get lavender. I would get lavender plants and rosemary plants and I would mix them with with Epsom salts and I would do this uh, with intention because intention is nine-tenths of the magic. So my intention is I want to clear out this abusive relationship, but I want to clear out all abusive relationships. I want to clear out my abusive nature because usually there's a little bit of mutual abuse going on. Not all the time. So, you know, not all the time. There are definitely times when that's not true at all. Um, where the relationship is quite psychotic and those psychotic relationships, um, you get, um, wined and dined and charmed and you fall for it. And then it turns out the person is actually severely controlling and jealous and abusive and kind of crazy and becomes stalkery and very, very dangerous when you try to leave them. And that's one category. That's a more extreme category, the very real, very dangerous category. I'm hoping you're not in that category. Didn't sound like it. So the other category is kind of this person's sort of abusive and maybe I participate a little too and I'm done with this. Get the herbs, get the salts and your intention, set your intention. My intention is to clear this abusive relationship from my body and from my life. My intention is to clear all abusive relationships from my body and from my life and to allow room for kind people to come in, loving people, caring people to come into my life. Because those people are everywhere. There's way more of those people than there are of any other kind. Humans are very kind and loving people. Uh, Absolutely. And that's why we're so fascinated by people who aren't, because it's just so weird, you know. So, and then you, the action is take a bath with those herbs and maybe you take two or three baths with those herbs and maybe you use them to clean your house out and maybe you look at your house and look at stuff that holds the energy of those abusive relationships and you purge yourself of those items and you do this intentionally and you just keep saying I clear myself of abuse I choose not to be abusive and I clear myself of abusive people and you do that and your life will change and it's really important that you put the part in about opening up to kindness because when you are not used to kindness it feels weird you can you can become quite cynical about it you can become contemptuous of it you can be rejecting of it of kindness um and then of course the next step is then make sure you're cultivating your own kindness that you are kind that and i'm not saying nice i'm going to do the difference between nice and kindness in a minute that you are kind that you are you are um honest, authentic, and kind people. And that will call in those people into your life. And then finally, it's really important that you don't stay in victim mode around it. Because being in victim mode really kind of attracts bullies and um, abusive people. Being um, disempowered and needy and helpless 
attracts that kind of abusive controlling personality. So it's important to go, "Mm, you know what? I did this to myself. I'm an adult and I have power to change my life. I can make choices and I choose abuse. So I can change that. It ain't nobody's fault but me. And yes, of course, we can go back to the childhood and notice what happened, why you got set up for it. You know, it's not your fault. You got set up for this. You totally got set up for it. So it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. And that's how you can pop yourself out of victim story. Victim story is the most self-destructive story you can run. You're not a victim um, and you can get out. And unless you're in the one where, you know, you're actually living with a crazy murderous stalker, which is real. But in this case, it doesn't sound that way to me. So Try to pop yourself out of victim story and become empowered to choose something different. Now, the difference between kindness and nice. So nice is kind of a lie. Basically, when we're being nice, we're sort of lying. Um, No matter what's going on in front of us, we're going to be nice. So if there's a thing we don't like, we won't say, I don't like this. Or we won't say, thank you very much, I'm leaving now. Or we won't say... Um, no, thank you. We'll just be nice and we'll try to keep the waters calm and keep everything smooth and not really attend to our boundaries just as long as everybody's happy and nobody's getting upset, right? We just want to be nice and everybody and nice people are really trying to manipulate the world around them so that everybody likes them. And we're nice because we're insecure, right? Because we need, and when we're insecure, we need everybody, if mostly everybody to always be liking us and mostly everybody to be saying kind things about us. And, you know, people don't, people don't, who cares? I mean, people don't like everybody. Certainly I'm not everybody's cup of tea. And um, if I'm nice, my podcast is going to be really boring. So that's a nice kind is when you set good boundaries that you say what you need to say in, in the kindest way. If you have to say it, if you can find, um, a simpler way to do it, you do the simplest way. So when we're kind, we're always looking for the minimum effective response to things. So if I don't like someone, I'm not going to go up to them and say, I really dislike you. You're a horrible human being. Get away from me. That's not kind. Um, it's honest. And there are a lot of people who work honesty as a magical act, but actually they're just cruel, horribly, socially and horrible people who splat their honesty all over the place. Just say, I'm just being honest. Or I've heard people say something like, I'm just working with a black heart. And that's actually just rude and mean. And so kindness is about authenticity, honesty, but not, but without cruelty, but by being kind. And so you want to do the minimum effective response in any given situation. So if you're around someone you don't like, you don't go up to them and, you know, say, here's what's wrong with you. And here's why you you say, Oh, I'm around someone I don't like, I will remove myself from the situation. And I will do it graciously, as graciously as I possibly can. Thank you so much. You've been a wonderful to host. I am going now. Goodbye simple, no explanations. Miss Manners will tell you when you're setting a boundary, you never need to explain yourself. So when someone asks you to do something you don't want to do, you don't have to say, Oh, I can't because my kids and my dad and the the thing and the other thing. No, Miss Manners will tell you, you say, Oh, no, thank you. I couldn't possibly. And then you, that's the end of the conversation. So the little bonus, nice versus kind. 
Thank you for that question, caller. I hope that you are restoring yourself. You can ask pomegranate. Five two zero two 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 ninety nine twenty two. Visit my website at askpomegranate.com. Hi, Palm. I have a question for you. I really like what you have to say about relationships and also about money. And I am wondering what is the deal with money in relationships? And some things I've noticed are that it often is a bad idea to loan money to people that I care about, even though I would think that that would actually feel really good to me. Um, And also that, to me, it feels a lot worse to be indebted to somebody for money rather than for something else like a trade in services or something. And I often feel like people can be really awkward when they talk about money and what they choose to prioritize spending money on and things like that. So um, I would love to hear your perspective on what money does to relationships. And um, this, some of this is coming up because um, my partner and I are talking about sharing finances. And I would love it if you could share the secrets to having successful interpersonal relationships with money involved, whether it's romantic or business or friendship or whatnot. Okay, thanks so much. Excellent question. Uh, I think money is often a litmus test of, uh, of a relationship, but also of a character Uh, The way that it runs through us, the way that when we receive it, when we give it, is really an an expose, I suppose, of our character. And um, it kind of finds the cracks, the cracks, the disturbances, the things that need to be healed when we receive it. Because after all, money is energy. It's an energy exchange. And it's it's actually a spell about the energy exchange between humans and because we really need to pay attention to that apparently the every other creature on the earth is just like rising and falling rising and falling the energy rises and falls the sun rises and sets but the humans really need to pay attention to energy and how they run energy and so we've developed this spell called money saying oh look at this this is um this represents how we run our energy and um we do amazing, amazing, amazing things with it. I mean, it is unbelievable the things that we've done with money uh, in this culture, in every culture that's had money. It's just, and it connects us, it links us, it, it's got that worldwide um, linking energy now where we're just like this flying numbers, flying all around the place. So when we receive it, it, it like, it comes into us and then we stamp it with our energy and it amplifies our energy either because we have a lot or because we have a little or just enough. I mean, nobody ever feels they have just enough. That's part of the energy thing. It's like one of the messages we feel is scarcity and um, you know, we have more than enough, right? This is going to be controversial, (laughs) but Um, we make more money, but there's really never any more money. I mean, if you think about it, um, 
the world doesn't have more money. We just think of it differently and we think of it as more money, you know? <laughs> so it's very intense. It's a very intense thing. So when it enters into a relationship, what we, what we have to think about is who, what it asks us is who am I? What do I value? What are my fears? What am I offering? These are some of the questions it asks us. And the question of lending money to friends. Um, yeah, because um, depends on what the dynamic is. If you're dealing with somebody who has a relationship with money, that's, um, and I've been this person who's lived on the edge and just a little helps and they're really grateful and they're really positive and it's not, you don't feel drained by it then yeah, you go ahead and you lend it to them or you better yet, if you can just give it to them because there are plenty of people you can give money to in your circle who are, will not have a negative reaction to having received that money and will be able to graciously receive it and usefully use it and change their life with it. And those are the people that you want to give your money to. If, on the other hand, and this is just like yes, no, maybe questions, right? If, on the other hand, someone wants money from you and you feel sorry for them and your heart hurts for them and your head tells you you should, the question I will ask you is, what does your intuition say? Will you, know, will you feel resentful if you give this money to this person? Because if you will feel resentful, do not give them that money. That's pretty simple. Pretty much. You know, resentment, which is actually anger, when resentment starts to rear its head, that's a stop. Do not pass. That's a no in your gut. Because it means I will be irritated by this person. If I lend them that money and then I see them out at the movies next week and going out to dinner, I'm going to start monitoring them and thinking about their money. And do I really want to be involved in this person's money? But if it's, I'm going to lend them this money or I'm going to give them this money and I don't care what they do with it and I don't care how they live their lives and I trust them and know that they're going to do well and I'm going to feel better having given them that money, then you give them that money. And that's kind of the truth of any energy that you give to another that you, that you share with others is if you have it to give and you want to give it um, and you feel clear and clean about giving it, then give it. And if you don't, then don't. And it, and I don't know, we don't always know where the problem lies because the problem might not be with the person you're giving it to. They might be perfectly wonderful people who will use it wonderfully. The problem might be with you. The problem might be with your fears and your neediness and some greed that you might be feeling or um, uh, emptiness that you're feeling that then because you gave money, you can't give it without strings attached. And if you can't give money without strings attached, don't give money. And certainly if you're lending money, make sure you know what the strings are and be really clear with yourself and really clear with the person. And if you have to write those things down and if you find it getting complicated, like if it's more complicated than I'm lending you this money, I expect you to pay this back to me in six months. If you don't pay it back to me in six months, it'll damage our friendship. <laughs> you know what I mean? Three things that's simple. Then if it's more complicated than that, then you're now into banking. And is it your point on in life to be a banker? Are you here to be a banker? Um, if you're a codependent, here's a caveat to this. If you're a codependent, 
um, be careful with giving money to people because your judgment is off. If you feel brokenhearted for people's financial situation and you want to save them and you're giving more than you have to give, then you have to be really careful. If on the other hand, you feel abundant and blessed and you're ready to give, 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 and you don't mind, then do that. I mean, that's the ideal, right? Like I think about all those rich people and all the good stuff they could be doing. And some of them are, but most of them are not like really rich people mostly are not doing great things. They have some foundations that really kind of gives away a little bit of their money, but is really a tax shelter. And, you know, they give it away because then otherwise they have to give it to taxes. But you know what I mean? And you think of someone like John Bon Jovi. Okay. Here's an example of a really rich, awesome dude. This guy has a restaurant. So, you know, lots of rich, famous people start restaurants and they want to make a lot of money and be really famous restaurateurs and hire chefs and stuff. He has a restaurant where you go in and you pay what you have. So it's, if you have no money, you eat. And if you have money, you pay $2, you pay $2. And if you have $10, you pay $10. And it's about having a beautiful, wonderful place that people who don't have money can go and eat at. And that's what he's doing with his money. So that's that's someone who's confident in themselves and feels fulfilled and is not trying to fulfill their ego with money, which is one of the ways we do it. So, okay, now that's talking about lending. Now let me talk a little bit about partnerships. So there was a study recently and in the study it said relationships are happier if they keep their money separate. So if you have your money, your partner has their money and they have their own bank accounts and then you've worked out something with the bills and blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I know people who do that and they do seem to be quite happy. Um, and it is, I think it's because you're, uh, you're saying that is sharing money is not a challenge that we choose to take on. And I think sharing money, um, is a challenge and I think it's a valuable challenge if you want to take it on in your relationship. We don't want to put too much pressure on our relationship because there's so much going on there. You have to be good roommates. You have to be good lovers. You have to be good financial planners. You have to be good uh, friendship, you know, good in our friendship circle. You have to be good socially. You know, you have to be engaged in your career. There's so much stuff and so much pressure. So if you want to take that pressure off your relationship to not do money together, go ahead and do it. People are successful. However, if that's a challenge you'd like to face, um, I think that there's definitely ways to do it. And one of the things that happens um, because of uh, career goals, because of future plans, because of sex, because of gender, because of race, racism, some people in a relationship, it's very rare that both people are making equal amounts of money. And so, and then also we come out of this culture where, well, you know, if you're the stay at home mom, for instance, then you've really got to do all the housework and you've got to do all you basically you have to turn your partner into um you know a little queen or king of the castle so that you prove your worth because they're out in the workforce working and that's just a vestige and leftoverness of um an incredibly sexist culture that was in the 50s 60s and 70s and what i recommend for couples is that if you're going to pull your money that and ever that everybody pursue their dream that you pursue your career dreams that I'll pursue my career career dreams and we'll both bring them in money and then we'll throw it into a big pot and then we'll divide that money 
and we'll pay for all of our common stuff. We'll each get a little money. And then the rest is our money to grow. And I think you do that with all the work at home too. You go, well, here's all the work. We throw it into a big pot. There's no expectations of who's going to do it. And we both agree what I would like to do. And this is what I do in my relationship. It's like what I feel like doing right now, what makes me happy to do is this. And what makes you happy is that. So we'll do it. You do the thing that makes you happy. I'll do the thing that makes me happy. And it turns out everything gets done. And everything might not get done in my controlling queen Virgo brain way that I think everything should be done in this perfect way, obsessive compulsive way, but it gets done. And it also releases me from my obsessive compulsive Virgo and Mercury brain where everything has to be perfect all the time. I can go, yeah, that's not folded perfectly. Whatever. It got done. It got put away. The laundry got done. Who cares? Um, and that frees me up to have time to do my podcast. So this is about money's about energy. And the, and how you relate to someone with money is how you relate to them with your energy and how, and of course, energy is really super important. It's kind of like all about energy. I mean, love is not a feeling. Love is a behavior and behaviors are us moving energy through us. And so it's really important. Um, and it's a reflection. So if you find yourself in either situations where you're giving too much too often and you're resentful, stop and see who lasts. You're going to lose some friends or some people that way. They'll go, wait, what happened? The money train ended or the, the energy train ended. But don't give more than you feel. The, the resentment is an alarm saying, stop, you're giving too much. And if you find, your, if you find people avoiding you um, when they see you, it might be that you're one of those people who takes too much and doesn't give enough. In which case, you might want to start thinking about the other person and finding out how they are before you start talking about how you are and seeing if they need something before you start talking about what you need. And that's that basic energy exchange that's important that money represents. You can ask pomegranate. Hello, pomegranate. I just drove by an American Red Cross a blood donation sign, and it spawned an interesting question. I wondered, what uh, what do you think energetically about donating blood? And to boot, what do you think energetically about organ donation? It just is an interesting question um, from someone who's never given blood or donated an organ before. Um, but we talked a lot about vampires and energy draining, um, but on the other end of things, there seems like there's this push for civic duty and for sharing um, positivity. So I wonder what, where you think blood donation falls in the big scheme of things. Thank you. What an interesting question. Um, if you can donate blood, do donate blood. Uh, in the old days, they used to, uh, in the old, old days, the physicians used to do bloodletting when people were ill. And um, there's some evidence that that was actually good for you, especially for people who do not have uh, periods, uh, because um, men will often get too much iron in their system because they have no way to release it in the way a woman does. So um, it's a good idea for men, especially to donate blood. And uh, it's a very 
it's important. It's we need it. People need it. I've had people in my family who needed a lot of blood at certain times through terrible, horrible injuries, and it was a blessing. And so, yes, I think it's good. And what do I think? I think when it leaves your body, I mean, I've had a lot of experience with blood leaving my body, not to get too graphic, but um, when it leaves your body, it kind of goes back to being what it originally was, which was this, which is essentially the ocean uh, with a lot of iron in it. The ocean and your blood have the same salinity. Um, in other words, you, the saltiness of the ocean and the saltiness of your blood are exactly the same. Um, there's some scientists who work with uh, who work with uh, the ocean and the nature of the ocean who, when they look at you, see a baggy sack of ocean water that's decided to get up and walk around. <laughs> and if from one perspective, that's what we are. So yeah, donate blood. Um, if you want to put a little spell in it, just offer a blessing as you do. As it leaves you, it stops being you. It's like when you, you, you receive, like it's a cycle, right? It's a, it's a cycle of, of energy. I receive water. It turns into my blood and then gets turned into my sweat and then it gets turned or it can get turned into my pee. Like the water that comes to me also leaves me and it's sort of continuously happening in every moment uh, because this is a wet, wet place. I'm sitting in a place filled with humidity. I'm breathing out water. I bleed out water. I pee out water. I drink water. The water pours down to, from the skies to me. It falls upon the earth. It comes to me. It goes through my system. It falls back into the earth. It goes into the back down into the rivers. It turn, goes to the the ocean, becomes salty again. The the heat comes and rises the ocean up again, leaving the salt behind, rising up, becoming fresh water and beautiful clouds, droplets. Then it moved the clouds, move across in the great jet stream of the earth, dropping the water on the ground again. At some point, I will receive that water. It will go through me in many different ways. And this is the sacred cycle of water. This is the energy of water. And water in the magical worlds holds the um, blessing of deep knowing, of psychic awareness, of emotions, of healing. That's the nature of water. So yeah, donate blood for sure. Um, donating organs, if you can, definitely. You want to donate your organs. What will happen is, um, and this this is, there's I don't know the names of the books, but there's books on this. Um, many, many people who receive organ plant transplants, especially with a heart transplant, will start to have um, an an experience of the person who offered it to them. So they get into a deeper, you, they, you can't help, but get into a deep relationship with someone who gives you a part of their body to live inside of you. <laughs> and you can't help, but be changed by that. And, um, there's so many reports of psychic phenomenon around receiving an organ and then starting to have cravings and feelings and thoughts, um, that when they go back to the family, if they can, uh, check up and go, oh yeah, that was my son. That was how my son felt. That was what my son thought. That's what, you know, the, the child who died, that is what he was like. It's very common. You're receiving, um, a part of that person and that's your karma. You're, that's your karma to go through the kind of a change that allows you to receive an entire part of another person. And that you're not just getting their organ, you're getting their life. And you're also bonding with them at a very deep level. 
I'm sure they're going to be one of the people, if you have a transplant, they will be one of the people that um, you will see when you die. Uh, one of the ancestors that come to greet you. So yeah, for sure, that happens. That's a real thing. And um, please, everyone, donate your organs. You'll save many lives. And you'll give many opportunities to people to live longer. And they really want to. People want to live longer, most people. So please, donate blood. If you're a man, it's kind of really important that you donate blood just to reduce your iron level. And if um, and pro I don't know if that's true of postmenopausal women, too. That might be. Um, and donate organs. If you die in an accident, everything will be used beautifully. It all goes back to the earth in the end, okay? So please do. You can ask pomegranate. Five two zero two 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 ninety nine twenty two. Visit my website at askpomegranate.com. Hello, pomegranate. My name is Rowan. I am a witch and a psychic and an empath. Um, I am also an energetic sponge. When I go into areas that feel energetically funky or haunted or there's something weird going on there, I leave feeling like I have taken on that energy. And it happens also uh, when I'm around people who are uh, in a real rough emotional state. I, I tend to absorb whatever is going on with them. Um, but the, the more difficult problem is with places because I feel like I've been trained and I you know, have some skills and tools about how I should be able to uh, clear this stuff out, but it's, it doesn't always work. So I end up feeling very uh, bad after going into certain places. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk about what's going on and how I can help so that I'm not absorbing the energy off of everything around me all the time. Thank you. So this is about your relationship to people and the places in which they dwell. And we're talking about relationships as a form of energy exchange. And one of the ways that, so there's, a, there's two ways. I give, I receive, right? And this is how we, this is how we connect. And um, when, when we're receiving and we have no ability to stop receiving the world around us, um, you will tend to become quite flooded. You will tend to become overwhelmed. You will tend to become an introvert. You will tend to become isolated because, you know, it's, it's all too much. And so um, I wonder about people with agoraphobia. Is that what they're suffering from? They're actually suffering from being an energy sponge, being um, a giant empath. An empath is a word I used to have to explain a lot, and now everybody knows what it means. So, But I'll just explain it anyway. An empath is someone who whose heart chakra is very, very, very open. And essentially, when we talk about the sponginess, we're talking about the heart being kind of a giant open bowl that everything that pours in is received. And it's so for big, for empaths with no skills or training, it can feel really overwhelming because anybody's feelings are going to just overwhelm the empath and it's just going to fill up their heart. 
And it's not good. <laughs> it's an unpleasant experience because you want to have, you want, because when that filling up happens, your, who you are as a, as a person gets flooded out and you can't know who you are compared to the people around you. And then there are some empaths who, and this is a psychic skill, this empathic center. There are some empaths who also have that problem with um, a space. So a home or even past incidences that have happened in that home or a piece of land might have a certain energetic pattern that also overwhelm and flood the empath. And we don't, you know, we think of psychic skills as always being something that's, that happens in the third eye as being, you know, the clairvoyant, you know, the clairvoyant psychic, but the most common form of, of psychic skills is that empathic center. And we need to, and we talk about developing it. It's good to develop it, but it's also really important to learn how to handle it if you're naturally born with a huge, giant, wide open, spongy heart. Uh, How do I handle it? And um, certainly one way of handling it is avoiding people. You know, and and there's some theories by which autistic people have, that is one of the things that's going on with them is that they're, they're super flooded by the environment around them and that it could be said that they are the you know just the most intense empaths that they're born feeling everybody and everything and that's the flooding that overwhelms them and makes it impossible for them to or very difficult for them to respond to the world around them because they're just in such a flooded state it's possible that's true um it's one theory so for you because you're flooded all the time by people, places, and things. Um, the first step is of course, in any situation is just noticing, um, Oh, I'm a giant empath. I, I threw my heart chakra and it's literally you're the center of your sternum and it's the center. You might want to put your hand there in this moment. It's like where you might be feeling a burning sensation or a panic sensation or, a feeling of shortness of breath. And you will feel that also not just in your front, which is a gate because chakras have gates through which things enter front of your body and the back of your body. Um, so also look at the, feel the back of your spine right there at that spot between your shoulder blades, where your heart is. Um, that is also a gateway in for the information to come through. And so as you breathe, I want you to notice the color green because that's the color of the chakra, the color green. And for your power of an empath to be useful to you, you have to be able to hold on to yourself. You have to be able to hold on to your emotional state. You have to be able to hold on to your heart. And a lot of empaths are find that very hard to do. So what I would do if I were you is I would develop a, a morning and evening practice where I just noticed when I, upon awakening, I would put my hand on my heart. I am also an empath. Um, I would put my hand on my heart and I would just notice as a, I awake what my emotional state is. I just notice it. Afraid, happy, sad, angry, shocked, disgusted, talked about these emotions in other podcasts in great detail. 
These are the six basic emotions. What's going on in there? And then I would just breathe into that heart and I would look, I would look for a color of green that really worked for me. And I would have that color nearby and I would breathe that color in. So I could be able to look at that color and then I could breathe it into my heart. Both through my back and through my front, I would breathe that color into my heart. Because it's important to know what the environment is. It's important to know when you enter an environment, what the nature of it is. And you can read it. And it's very possible that you will have a skill that many empaths have, which is being able to diagnose people's health. Um, It's called medical empath. And also empaths with this ability are often um, healers. So it's a useful thing, but you have to have good boundaries around it. So you breathe in that green until your heart is filled with that green. And I like to pick an emerald green and I just fill my heart with that emerald green in the morning so that I can begin my day in my, in a place of me. (laughs) I am a contained unit as far as uh, being a human. I have skin, which caused me edges and I have an auric egg, which give me edges. I am a contained unit. And although I'm relating to others, the whole point of being here is to be a, a, a being unto myself and to differentiate from other beings. I have a name in everything. <laughs> I have edges I can feel and see. And so I want to really encourage you to have, to fill that up with you, with a color of green that really is you. And you might want to have a note, a little tone that you make, a little sound that you make that also has that. And that's just about filling up. And as it fills up, it fills up and it overflows. Okay. And in that overflow, it can float out, float out anything that doesn't belong to you. That isn't integral to you. Now, the next step is you're going to go engage with beings. You're going to go see a person. You're going to maybe go, if you're a healer, you're going to go do a healing. What you want to do next is you want to do a shielding. And this is also is again a, a breathing technique. And so um, imagine if you will, um, so we're talking about chakras right now, which are energy, energy points in your body, which psychics can see with their eyeballs. I can see them with my eyeballs. And what you have is a rainbow in your body. And at your heart is the green part of the rainbow. But a Above your head, about a foot, and you can reach up and touch it, is um, what Victor Anderson liked to call the front porch light. It's the soul light. It's the part of you that is not in the body. It's a bright white chakra, and it's right above your head, about a foot. You can. It's about right where your hand is when you reach up. And so up there is that white light, and that white light can provide for you a shielding so that you don't get information you don't need. So if you're going to go outside of your environment of your home, you do this shielding and you do this as a daily practice. So what you do is just breathe in and, and remember intention is nine tenths and action is one tenth of the magic. So your intention is to create a shield for your heart so that you don't have to feel anything that's not useful information for you because you don't want to be flooded. You just want to get what's what's useful. So, Breathing in, you breathe in that white light straight down, straight down like a waterfall that's pounding down 
white light straight down, breathing in, into your heart. And, and as it goes into your heart, it becomes that emerald green. For me, that's emerald green. It just breathes right into your heart. And then on your breath in, and then on your breath out, you breathe it out. And as you breathe it out, you breathe it straight out of your heart in front of you. And it creates a shield. And tell it, energy, be a shield. This is how it works. <laughs> energy, be a shield. And know the nature of that shield. What does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it smell like? What does it taste like? What's the imagery on it? And then do that again. Breathe that white light down through your head all the way into your heart. And then breathe it out on a breath out. Breathe the shield backwards. <sighs> And at the back, because this is where most people miss it, also a shield. And it might be exactly the same as the one in front, or it might be different, but create a shield. And then now you want to make just like a really simple sound or gesture. We call it a key to create this so that you can do this really easily and quickly after you've practiced it. If you practice this for two weeks every day, then you can just do the key and the shields will come up. So my key is just a wave of my hand. I just do a wave of my hand. And I do a breath, a breath out. There, my shields are up. And they're up. Now I don't have to hear anything that doesn't belong to me um, that's not useful information. So that I live in a city and I don't have to get flooded. Plus, I mean, like, I talk to plants and crap. So can you imagine how flooding that would be? And that's what you do. And you do that diligently. And you do that every day for two weeks. And if it takes longer, do it for a month. And um, one caveat I will add to this is frequently, if you can't, if that doesn't work for you, then you have an attachment. And this, this happens frequently with empaths, that you have an attachment to being flooded. You're choosing to be flooded because this works. You're choosing to be flooded, which means that you could be choosing to be um, in a victim story. And we, we choose to be in victim stories when we want to have more control than we really should have about the environment. And so we go into a victim story as a way to control the world around us. And so if you're not letting go of that flooding, of that sponginess, and in order to make your empathic powers useful to you, and you're sticking with this, I'm overwhelmed everywhere I go. It's all too much for me. Well, what's really going on is you're, you're really interested and in, in committed to being a victim. And what I would suggest you do is let go of that attempt to control the world around you because you, you can't actually do it. And it's just making you miserable. And, um, there's so much, and it also defeats your power as an empath. You can't use it to heal because it's going into, a self-destructive spiral. So I really encourage you to consider that um, as a way to pop yourself out of it. It's just a habit and you have the power to pop yourself out of it. So hopefully that is a helpful thing for all you empaths out there. You can ask pomegranate. To leave a question for me, dial 520-222-9922. Five two zero two 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 ninety nine twenty two. Hi, Pomegranate. This is Lydia. Here are a few questions for you. I'm wondering what an amend is. How is it different than an apology? 
Can you give me some examples of when one is appropriate and then when the other is appropriate? And another question is, what are some ways to make an amend to someone magically who I am no longer in communication with? Thank you so much for your reply. Talk to you later. Bye. An amend versus an apology. They're not all that different, um, except for an amend is quite serious. And in order to make an amend, you really have to think about it and you really have to put some energy into it and thought, um, whereas, you know, we've been trained to apologize for existing. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry is a word that you hear all the time uh, over nothing. People will apologize for nothing constantly. And so as a result, the power of the I'm sorry is little, it's a little more like what we're really saying is I'm sorry I exist or I'm sorry that I'm not perfect or I'm sorry, you know, so we're saying I'm sorry about ourselves, which is self-defeating um, and self-hating often. And, you know, I mean, there's definitely moments when I've said I'm sorry to someone uh, when they've complained to me about something I've done. And so my I'm sorry's are more, I am responding to someone complaining to me and I, I empathetically connect with them. I understand their pain, the pain that was caused. And then if I feel that I'm responsible, I say, I'm sorry, which is really close to an amend. And you can do an amend that way. Another way you can do an amend. And a lot of uh, times this will come out, gen be generated through the 12 steps system, um, which is I f consider the, my actions, I realize they were harmful and I want to, not just apologize for them. I want, I want to say, I am sorry. I, I want to also say, here's what I did. So I'm taking real strong ownership. Here is what I did. Here is not why I did it. No, I don't really care about that. Here's what I did. Here's what I understand the harm to be. If I have not understood the harm completely, please tell me if, if there's more harm I did that I don't understand. And then here is, here is my, uh, genuine empathic pain that I feel because I did this to you because I know when I'm in my right self that I won't harm you because harming you hurts me and I feel the pain of that hurt and then here is the reparations that I will do in order to um, try to heal the damage that I did so an amend in addition to saying I'm sorry it's like really understanding empathetically the pain that I've caused and then seeing if there's any amends, any reparation I can do. And this, um, and this is a, about letting go of my e ego. And this is about being humbled by m the fact that I am a human and that I make mistakes and that I cause harm because I do, I, I make mistakes and I cause harm. And sometimes I do that in my life, I've done that because I was reckless or sometimes I've done it because I was mean. Like I've definitely been a mean person. Uh, I used to have a terrible, horrible gossiping habit um, and hung out with a lot of terrible, horrible gossips. And we used to generate so much nasty energy. And now when you're practicing magic and you're doing something like that, you're gossiping, gossiping negatively about someone. This is my my thing that I, one of the things that I've done in my life, I've had to make amends for, um, 
when you're doing that magical and you're magical, you're a magical person, you recognize you have magical powers. What you're doing is actually generating a curse. And so when you're gossiping in a vicious way, not in a regular way, not in a, Hey, let me exchange information about what's going on with people around me, but gossiping in a vicious way that, that is emotionally speculative and condemns someone's character um, when you're doing that, you're actually generating a curse, a magical curse against that person. And if you do it strong enough and hard enough, you will actually generate a small being of negative, nasty energy that will then haunt that person and cause them harm and, and pain. And because I'm also Catholic, I call that little being a demon that they're not very powerful, but they are real. And not only do you generate one, but when you do that kind of harmful gossiping vicious gossiping you're you're they're they're twin they're twin demons and so one goes to that person and haunts them and the other one goes with you so <laughs> and so all of that times that i've done that i gener generated all these little demons that went and haunted these perfectly fine people who i was just in so much of an ego pain about and so insecure that i couldn't I did, my behavior wasn't good enough. It wasn't, it was my, that's incorrect. My behavior was not well thought out. I was doing the best I could in those moments, but I generated all those demons for those people as well as for myself. And so in order for me to make amends, I could have called them all up. Um, and some people I certainly did. I called up and said, here is what I did. And here is the damage that I see I've done. And here's how I want to repair it. And so one is just by being honest. And the other way I repaired it was, um, and you can do this too, is when you've done harm, uh, other than doing a direct um, apology to the person and reparation for the person, often they will tell you what they want you to do to repair the situation. Um, you can call back the harm. You can do a prayer of calling back the harm you've done. Um, I call it calling back the demons. And you call back all those demons and you on, compost them and you take the power away from them. They're just little tiny little creatures that run around cursing people. Um, <laughs> and you just compost them. You take the power out of them because you generated the power. So you can take the power out. And what happens is both of them die. The one that's haunting you dies and the ones that you sent die. And all of a sudden your life gets better. And... Um, you can call, so you can energetically call the harm back and then secondarily, and this is also very important, you send now prayers to those people, because if you pray long enough and hard enough, you will generate little blessing, little blessers, little blessing angels. If you want to call them angels, Catholics, so I'm going to call them angels, little angels that then follow that person around and offer blessings constantly. And of course they have twins too. So the more you do it for others, the more you receive them as well. Suddenly your life changes. The tenor of your life changes. The people you meet change. The people, the people, the kinds of people who are willing to be around you changes. So you can make direct amends by calling people. You can take a, take do an act of that's equal to whatever the harm was you did. Do an act that's equal to that harm um, to repair it. And you can just pray is one of the most powerful, strong ways to call that energy back, compost it, ask for forgiveness from the goddess or whoever your higher power is. Forgive yourself because, you know, it's like Maya Angelou says, or, well, I guess she said, used to say, because she's dead now, beautiful ancestor. She used to say, when you know better, you do better. 
And so I know better now. And so now I'm doing better. And I forgive myself for having had that, that flaw of character. Um, and you can forgive yourself too. You can ask pomegranate. Thanks for listening, everybody. And I'd like to thank my primo engineer for helping me produce my podcast today. And I will be talking to you again real soon. You can ask pomegranate. Five two zero two 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 ninety nine twenty two.